Welcome everyone to the first Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast of 2022. I'm Nancy Anderson, and we're kicking off the new year with a roundtable conversation that takes a look back at 2021 to identify key takeaways for brand communicators and marketers as we head into 2022. Then, roundtable guest Leslie Silliman stays on to join me for the Red Questionnaire, where we ask the same questions to different guests so we can learn more about them and understand what makes them tick. But first, I'll pass it over to Linda Descano, Executive Vice President at Red Havas US, to get our roundtable conversation underway. At the start of 2020, the idea of a worldwide pandemic that would trigger a massive pivot seemed unthinkable, as did the idea that we'd still be talking and living through unprecedented times two years later in 2022. The last two years have been as sobering as they have been defining for all of us, professionally and personally. And as communicators, it proved how important it is for us to be prepared to flex with the times, as everyone says. On today's roundtable, we will be talking about some of the key takeaways from 2021 and things to consider in how brands engage and deliver experiences to their customers and consumers in 2022. Joining me for today's conversation are Karina Heffers, who leads strategy for Red Havas in the US, Richard Clark, Executive Director of Red Havas in the UK, and Leslie Silliman, who leads our Pittsburgh and Atlanta offices. And I believe this is your debut performance on the podcast, right, Leslie? You're correct, Linda. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Great to have you all. Thank you for agreeing to join me. I think we'd all agree 2021 was another year of twists and turns, and it's no wonder why when we asked fellow communicators around the world to describe 2021 in one word, they picked adaptability. We've had to flex and fast, not just in response to pandemic-related news and developments, but also to address issues relating to climate, social justice, and diversity and inclusion, and the list goes on. So basically, there's a lot for us to unpack here today. Leslie, I'd like to start with you. As you turn the page on 2021, and we've now said hello to 2022, what's one theme or a lesson you would encourage brand communicators and marketers to keep in mind? Yeah, thanks, Linda. I think this is a really interesting conversation because we have spoken for some time now about the concept of adaptability, about agility and perseverance and resilience. And I think none of us realized, of course, how long we would be expected to do that for and that adapting doesn't necessarily mean just making one turn um, or even two turns, but that this really is an always on concept. And now we know that we sort of don't know what's around the corner. And so we need to be very ready to continue to adapt and to continue to be agile. I think going into 2022, and I know we're not talking word of the year yet, but I'm going to throw out an early contender because, <laughs> and it's another A word, but to me, this year is really all about acceptance and sort of the era of acceptance. And I think of that both from a societal viewpoint that we kind of don't know as a culture and as a society what is next for us. And we've realized that really intimately over the last couple of years. But I also think um, on an individual level, acceptance has become so much more clear that we need to accept that we aren't all living in the same paradigm anymore, whether that means thinking about our health, whether that means thinking about our families, the way we like to work, the way we want to live, and that we all need to be accepting now of our own reality, of each other's reality, 
And that's really critical in the way we approach communication because we're no longer looking at sort of a mass paradigm of the way people think about brands, the way they think about communication. You know, just as an example, I've seen people in recent months, and we've seen this over over the, the course of the last couple of years, really changing and honing in the way they accept communication, whether that's pairing back on social, whether that's picking a couple of key outlets or channels that they really follow. So we as communicators need to really be accepting of our audience's ability to pick and choose uh, the way they want to live their lives, the way they want to receive communication, and then think about how we make strategic and brand communication decisions going forward. I really love what you said about choice. And it's also about convenience, right? Because most brands are engaging with a multi-generational audience and each audience has preferences for how they consume news and information. So it's about providing your messages, your content in different formats, you know, that can appeal to the TikTok generation, as well as to a generation that still wants to physically hold maybe a magazine and read long form content. And it's not necessarily generational. I think you see that people for different times of day will engage with different types of content. And they've changed over time for even within individuals. So, you know, folks who are used to having an hour long commute may not have that anymore ever, or may have it one to two days a week. So they'll, they'll still choose to accept certain forms of communication during that time, but they have a more limited window now to, to receive that communication. So I think thinking you're right, Linda, not just generationally, but the way that we all live and work, uh, the, the changes that have come about in the way we all live and work have really had an impact on the way we receive communication. I was thinking back to when, I, you know, it was probably 2020, beginning of 2021, and we were talking about um, post-pandemic. What's the plan for post-pandemic? And, you know, that was such a focus as if it was going to have, we're going to have a date on the calendar and it would go back to the way it was. And, you know, really, I think as we've ventured into 2022 with just such shock about how long this has lasted in terms of a new way of living and also how um, consumer behavior has evolved and almost permanently. And, you know, we're really seeing so much more of a gray area that it's no longer pre post pandemic. It's life and, you know, watching consumers and clients really navigate that has been has been really interesting. Well, let's build on the theme of of some of the topics that have come to the forefront of, of conversations as we've moved into this acceptance of a new sort of a new normal. Um, Richard, one of the areas that you and I have discussed at length over the past year or so is how the, the past 18 months have created this watershed moment around a P word, purpose. Why don't you break this down for us and, and how conversations have really shifted around purpose? This is literally, where do you start with the answer <laughs> to this? Because there is... There is so much to talk about in terms of, you know, breaking down purpose, values, uh, communications around, you know, DE&I, uh, communications to employees internally, externally, etc. But I think where I would probably start is actually just before the sort of the global pandemic erupted and sort of in tandem with social justice protests. So 
we know consumers were already sort of applying more and more pressure on brands to really sort of demonstrate their purpose and take a, take a real stance. However, in 2020, you know, that onus to sort of drive change and be much more purposeful really shifted away from consumers who were sort of locked in this pressure cooker of the pandemic and trying to figure out, you know, sort of what existence and sort of life on earth and in this world looked like, and really on to sort of corporate leaders, uh, you know, and brands for whom that year in particular, 2020, was really um, about brands showing what they were made of and, and really what their company stood for. So I think for me, the sort of last 18 months in particular has been super interesting as for us as communicators and I've tried to sort of break it down as in two halves. So one half, um, and I guess much more recently, has seen the sort of emergence of, you know, much more optimistic brand campaigns as the sort of the, the widespread availability of the COVID-19 vaccine came around, you know, campaigns. We were seeing more and more campaigns that were really delivering a sort of real dose of fun, be that TikTok trends or, you know, absolutely most recently sort of really starting to, you know, brands are building interactive worlds in the new metaverse, et cetera. Whereas the other half, and probably the closest to your question, Linda, was is sort of looking at brands that were striking a much more serious tone, reporting on pledges and promises that they first communicated when, when the pandemic hit. And also, I think, sort of coupled again with a sort of a real rebalancing of the employment contract at a time of heightened public expectation. So, with that in mind and looking at that sort of more serious kind of second half, you know, I think IKEA is a really fantastic example of a brand leading on its purpose and values and sort of really looking at, they've really tried to deliver and demonstrate at every stage uh, what they exist to do, which is to make all of their products, you know, 100% circular. And they've looked, they've launched campaigns that have, you know, tackled sort of the stigma around the word frugal and tried to position that as a much more positive lifestyle choice. They've introduced buyback, resale services, you know, around the world. This isn't just in small markets. This is in, you know, big commercial markets like the US, for example. From a DNI perspective, I think, you know, J&J really sort of caught my attention. You know, they've, they've sort of, they now have a real program of employee resource groups, mentoring programs, a diversity university, you know, which is essentially a website that looks at sort of, you know, tries to help and educate employees to understand the benefits of working collaboratively and in a diverse, you know, working environment. Interestingly, too, that their chief diversity officer also report directly to the CEO and chairman. So, you know, they are the sort of top level management is really keeping a pulse on issues around DEI. You know, that company has what 130,000 plus employees. So that's a super interesting one. Um, and they've really sharpened that position and their efforts around DEI in particular over the course of the last you know, 18 months. And then also I think from an, an internal comms perspective, you know, so when the pandemic hit, we really started to see, and this is literally overnight, corporate emails, communications to employees were much more inclusive, much more empathetic and purpose-oriented. And I guess, you know, the sort of the marketing corporate jargon had gone. You know, companies are, uh, have really been treating employees less like an audience and, and really more like a key stakeholder. They've just, they, they, they see companies see now the sort of how imperative employees are when it comes to happy customers and, and good sort of, you know, revenue streams. And also, I think in, in line with that too, you know, companies have really looked at how they can implement policies to, to make it easier for people to live their lives. So be that Twitter's 
working from anywhere policy, like the office does no longer exist in, in, in the world of Twitter and for their employees. You know, and also super interestingly, we've seen even national governments like Iceland introduce four-day working weeks who have trialed that super effectively. And it's just been brilliant in terms of happiness and productivity. So, you know, I think to, to summarize, we're, we're, we're in this sort of this new era where silence is, is definitely not golden. Media and consumers are sort of actively watching what brands are doing internally, externally. They want to be kept abreast of how brands are responding. And they're sort of really expecting brands to inform them of their efforts. I agree with what you said, and I think it echoes right some of the other research we've done over the past year. It's 2020 was a year often of pledges, and 2021 was how do you prove your purpose and how are you going to measure your progress? And 2022 is shaping up again about those expectations for continued progress, right? For transparency in reporting. And even as we negotiate whatever the new or the next normal is, there's no backing away of those commitments and expectations of consumers, employees, so forth continues to, to be high and take on more, more significance. And you, you touched on the whole employee piece and Karina would love to get you to jump in because I know you and I have spent countless hours in conversations with clients about the whole rethinking of what does internal communications and employee engagement look like in an increasingly distributed hybrid work from anywhere. And as Fast Company said in an article last week, in an increasingly work at any time, asynchronous work environment. What's your takeaway for our listeners when it, it comes to that part of the, the audience engagement? Yes. Well, thank you, Linda. Um, it has certainly been an exciting and super interesting time to uh, be working closely in employee engagement and internal comms. Um, I think that, um, you know, really what the, the big theme to me is that um, it's all about people putting themselves first for the first time in a really long time, maybe ever. And that actually meaning something to an employer. You know, employees are looking for places that value their uniqueness, trust them pr to produce good work um, without being forced to conform to some of the old expectations that might have been real unrealistic, um, you know, anywhere from a physical office to a nine to five structure to, you know, as you said, Richard, the days of the week that you work, um, you know, all of those things that were assumptions really that you had to conform with are, are being questioned and have been questioned over the last two years. And you know, starting with even how um, employees want to receive information from their employer. I mean, we saw such a shift really early on in the pandemic that has continued. But this notion that gone are the days of top-down communication, that, you know, a, a CEO is maybe not the best voice for every message. And the notion that, you know, in 2020, CEOs ranked last in the question of who's doing an outstanding job, meeting the demands placed on them by the pandemic. And, you know, what we really saw then was that um, employees wanted to hear from each other. They wanted to hear from their peers and from, you know, a wider range of, of voices in order to hear different messages. So we saw this rise of bottom-up communication and collaborative communication, 
we saw, you know, we could call it horizontal or lateral communication, but really the notion that the exchange of information and communication is coming between people and divisions that are at the same hierarchy. And that really was a shift that encouraged continuous feedback um, and encouraged collaboration and that there was a real emphasis put on that um, in order to maintain connection and maintain ways of working in this very dispersed hybrid uh, world that we are living in. And we also saw in terms of the clients that we worked with um, and then across the board, the shift to employees having a voice, being given a voice, and the notion that you know, engaging is very different than broadcasting. And that when in normal times, you know, we saw the fundamental importance of an employee voice as an enabler. And in these very unusual times, that was just given so much more um, importance, especially when you were asking employees to work differently, think differently, think creatively, and use skills that they really hadn't had to previously on a, on a daily basis. We saw a rise in the importance of creating environments that were safe spaces, active listening, things where employers were, there were demands being put on employers that really hadn't been there before in terms of being accountable for the employee experience through different uh, ways and techniques of creating environments that uh, encouraged an employee voice. And I think one of the big points, and Linda, you touched on this when we kind of think about what this year is going to look like, but employers have to be prepared to act on the findings when they are asking employees questions about their work experience. And I think that that was very different than what we had seen previously, that there were surveys being put out, there were questions being asked of employees, and they were being put in a file cabinet. And, you know, maybe something that would be nice to have in five years, but certainly not something that was going to change at that moment in time. And I think employers now have to be accountable that if they ask the question, they have to be prepared to act on the answer. That's such a good point, Karina, because you're you're absolutely spot on. And you know, we talked in our 2021 predictions about the rise of the empowered employees and employees expect to have a voice and that their voice is heard. And that requires employers to consciously say, we listened, right? And then provide a rationale for an action that is aligned with or doesn't align with whatever the employee recommendation or perspective is. But that sense of accountability is very high. And particularly when it comes to, you know, societal issues, because as we've all seen, some brands have been criticized by their employees when they make public pledges around DE&I issues in particular, but it doesn't align with their board representation, their leadership representation, or their programs that are happening in the organization. So employees do have this voice and can be your biggest advocates, but also can be a source of criticism if there's a a disconnect in what you're, you're saying internally and externally, but also so doing. So such an important point. I think it also dovetails with uh, one of the findings 
in our internal employee engagement white paper where we talk about communicating with heat. Humanity, empathy, authenticity, and transparency. Those four guidelines, I think whether you're talking to your customers and consumers or you're talking to employees, those are sort of four attributes that all audience are looking for in communications. And are no longer just a nice to have. They become really an imperative as we move into this new era. Leslie, Richard, anything to add? Yeah, I, you know, I really like where uh, both Karina and Richard have been going. I accept the word action as another uh, potential A word <laughs> because no, I, I think it makes perfect sense. And I think, you know, a phrase that we've been using for quite some time at Red Havas comes to mind for me, which is this idea of blurred lines. And we've been using the, the, that phrase really to talk about different communication vehicles. But I think it applies here as well from employee to employer, from brands to customers, from brands to customers to consumers, you know, from governments to key stakeholders. The convergence is real and it's exciting because it does give voice, as, as you have said, Linda, and you have said, Karina, to those who haven't always had it or haven't always had it as loudly as they do now. And it's a real opportunity for us as communicators and for our clients as brands to really create the future as communicators with real engagement and real empathy. Richard, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I would just, um, I just wanted to add that, you know, this is a specifically to brand marketers, but I would say really sort of consider the importance of PR and, and look to kind of protect the investment in marketing budgets. Because for me, 2021 was really, it sort of forced a grand level of, of clarification about what a brand ultimately means. Um, and I think, you know, going into 22, there is a real role for PR and comms in particular to help deliver positive brand images and, and community spirit, which I think are going to play a major role in, in sort of helping to drive businesses forward. I can't think of a better way to end our podcast. Thank you, Richard, Leslie, and Karina for joining us today and hope you will come back and share your perspectives on uh, our 2022 predictions, which will come out in a few weeks. Thanks everyone, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Linda. Now we welcome back one of our roundtable guests, Leslie Silliman for the Red Questionnaire. An executive vice president here at Red Havas, Leslie is the lead of the agency's Pittsburgh office and a key member of the company's global collective, helping to coordinate the agency's cross-border work with Havas teams around the world. Prior to joining Havas, she worked for a decade in U.S. government and politics, serving in press secretary and national communication roles for several elected officials, a national political party, and in battleground states during two presidential races. Also a mom of two, she is known within the walls of red as a warm and communicative leader that the teams know they can rely on. So for all those reasons and more, I'm so happy to welcome Leslie Silliman to the Red Questionnaire. Thank you, Nancy. I'm happy to be here. Okay, let's do this. So tell us, Leslie, how would you describe your job to a child? Well, this is a good one because as you know, Nancy, I do have two children. So this is something that I've actually experienced many times. And no surprise to you, it is sometimes confusing to explain it. Um, but what I tell them is that I help people tell their stories. And um, my husband is helpful too. He always tells them what a good writer I am. So I think they understand that I write in my job and that I tell a lot of stories. But you know, one thing that I think has been really interesting for all of the talk about the challenges of uh, the new you know, normal of working at home, 
one piece of the story that I think doesn't really get discussed is the window through which this has helped kids actually watch their parents work. And, you know, in the old days, people would just, kids would just see their parents go to work and come home from work and they might hear them talk about it, but they weren't really watching them work. And so there's probably some things I don't always want them to see or don't intend them to see when I'm reacting to stress or, you know, having, having a, a difficult time. But at the same time, I think that really humanizes us to them in a way that wasn't previously seen. And hopefully there's some flip side good examples too that they see when I'm interacting with colleagues and clients and helping them learn about how to be professionals really for any career that they end up choosing. That's a great point. And that's so interesting because so much that you know it's happening in other places. They don't see the time that goes into it or even uh maybe right. the level of professionalism that it requires for you to do what you do. Right. It's it's like a black hole when you just drive to your job and come home. They don't really know, you know, what took place during those, you know, eight, ten hours. And then even for a significant other, I'd imagine that you're they get a better understanding right. of just how busy someone is during their day or or what it takes to do their role and a better understanding of maybe how people can collaborate together at home in this new hybrid work model that we're all trying to figure out. Exactly, exactly. Great answer. Uh, so let's move on. Question number two, tell us the favorite place you've traveled to and why. Oh, this is a fun one too, because especially pre-COVID, um, I was lucky enough, you know, through both work and personally to do quite a bit of travel. And so um, I had some fun thinking about this one. I mean, for me, the most far-reaching places that I've gone uh, in this in this job were Cape Town, South Africa, and also Seoul, South Korea. Um, I also am lucky enough to have a brother with a family who lives in Paris, and so I love going to Europe, and I've been able to spend a lot of time there and in France in general uh, with them. But I will tell you, my favorite place really was probably um, Banff National Park in Alberta, Canada. This was a work trip also. But um, what a gorgeous, gorgeous spot in the world. It's really like being on another planet. And the mountainside town is so charming and beautiful. And I, I highly recommend it. It is not the easiest spot in the world to get to, at least not from Pittsburgh, where I'm based. But I think that is part of the charm. That sounds amazing. Leslie, you're going to have to share pics so we can get some inspiration and motivation. Yes, yes, definitely. Love it. All right. So tell us now, what's your favorite blog or podcast? Okay, I'm going to flip the switch on you here, Nance, and say something unpopular, which is that I really honestly only have time for the Red Havas podcast, at least on a regular basis. But I'll flip it and talk about uh, something I'm reading because I am a voracious reader. Um, over the holidays, I started Jonathan Franzen's Crossroads, and I'm just devouring every page. I'm almost finished with it. And just before that, I read Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro which I, you know, it prompted me actually to reread Remains of the Day, which was really exciting for me as well. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, short form content, I, I'm one of those people that has a stack of New Yorkers and Atlantics and Vanity Fairs by my bed. And I think probably at least once a month, I send a recent article written by George Packer in the Atlantic called The Four Americas to someone. So I highly recommend it. If you haven't read it yet, it is a must read. I love that. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes so people can read up on that and the books you're reading too. Perfect. 
All right. So the headline that's grabbing your attention, if we read up on anything this month, what should it be and why? Okay. So I, this is also fun. I am fascinated by this ongoing saga around Novak Djokovic. And, you know, I'll say it's not even that I'm so much of a tennis fan, honestly, but I am a crisis communication expert. And so watching the twists and turns of this story play out, and it's still playing out, I don't know where it will all land by the time um, the podcast airs, but it's so interesting to me. So kind of beyond any personal politics or point of view, it's just been so interesting to watch the way he and his team are handling the communications, and I will say poorly in my view, um, and, and just to think about his reputation and what history will remember about this and This was something I was talking to my kids about the other day, and they were, you know, astutely, I thought, pointing out that in 50 years or 100 years, no one will really remember why he didn't play in the Australian Open. It's just that he won't be a record holder and he may not care. And that's fine, of course, his, you know, his principles are his own principles. But it's just so interesting to think about what legacy means in sports and how that's playing out. you know, in many sports, not just tennis, but this is kind of the the latest breaking headline around this issue at the moment. So it's been an interesting one to watch. It is. And it, and it's so funny. And, and it's great for you to touch on this because it goes to show how powerful communication is, right? How you're communicating what you're doing and your thinking can really impact perceptions, success, um, as sponsorships. Right. And and the different ways you can sort of proactively and reactively anticipate, you know, a crisis situation. And that, that's something that, that I talk about a lot, uh, you know, professionally, just about the way to be prepared to manage issues like this, that frankly, he knew, you know, that at least something was going to, to come out of this. So Right. Um, it, like I said, it's it's continuing to play out, I'm sure, as we speak. So it's it's one to watch. Definitely fascinating to follow. Good answer. Okay, last one. And I can't wait to hear this one, Leslie. Tell me, what's your guilty pleasure? Oh, I have I have a ton. So, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I watch The Housewives. And right now, I'm into Salt Lake and the OC. And admittedly, this is completely mindless. Uh, unabashedly makes me feel both better and worse about myself at the same time, all in one 60 minute episode. And then I always follow up with watch what happens live with my best friend in my mind, Andy Cohen. Leslie, thanks so much for joining us. We were so happy to have you. Um, You're such a special part of our team. And I'm so happy for other people to get to know you a little better on a personal note. Oh, thanks, Nancy. I really appreciate the opportunity. And it was it was fun as always to chat. Thank you for joining the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. We hope you'll join us again for more of the latest communications, insights, and trends from the team at Red Havas. Please make sure to subscribe to the show using your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Don't forget to rate and review today's show. We'd love to hear from you.